When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. The further you travel, the riskier the journey becomes. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey there, it's Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to your Boo Crew Podcast, episode 391, a time of release. Hope you had a great 4th of July weekend for you listening here in the U.S. Happy Canada Day to you listening in Canada, hoping you got to watch or read a lot of horror and check out some great genre-centric events either online or by you where you live. We wanted to get you into the rest of your week here in celebration of the fifth installment of the Insidious franchise. It is finally here, Insidious, the Red Door. It's in theaters everywhere this weekend, July 7th. I hate to use this cliche, but this film is a roller coaster of terror. Well-earned and brilliantly choreographed scares at every corner awaits you. And it's also got a big beating heart at the center. There were so many times I was overflowing with emotions where I least expected it. And it's been very few times that I've felt that way in a horror film before. So we are really excited about this. We celebrate its arrival with an incredibly special guest. One of the film's stars, as well as making his feature directorial debut with this one, Tony-nominated, multi-award-winning storyteller, Patrick Wilson. This is a bucket list conversation for us, I'm going to be honest, and he does not disappoint. Listen as he reveals his personal path through the genre, including a look inside the core of Insidious and what makes these dark adventures so damn effective. Take a look into his filmmaking process and journey from actor to director, the inspiration he's taken from James Wan and Lee Whannell, reuniting with an exceptional cast, and so much more, plus a look into the future of Ed and Lorraine Warren's forthcoming involvement in the Conjuring universe to come. The wonderfully charismatic, talented, and charming Patrick Wilson and Insidious the Red Door for episode 391 is now slaying. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a brilliant storyteller whose versatility and fearless commitment to story continues to transform characters into icons, not only getting them stuck in our heads, but trapped in our hearts. Beginning his career on the stages of Broadway as a Tony Award-nominated performer in the world's most famous musicals, he went on to star alongside Pacino and Meryl Streep in the 11-time Emmy-winning 
Angels in America for HBO. Then there was Joel Schumacher's three-time Oscar-nominated Phantom of the Opera and the 10-time award-winning Hard Candy, launching a remarkable journey of collaborations with the greatest in cinema history, Ryan Murphy, Zack Snyder, Ridley Scott, on some of not only the most entertaining, but the most culturally significant projects of our lifetime. 2010 marked the start of a wonderful partnership with James Wan and Lee Winnell with Insidious. Those films and his portrayal of Josh Lambert were instrumental in changing the entire genre, directly responsible for the modern horror renaissance and unlocking its power and scope in ways that had never been done before. The Conjuring universe came swiftly after. His Ed Warren helped captivate global audiences, making it the highest grossing horror franchise in history and are well regarded as the most terrifying movies ever made. The New York Times summed it up beautifully in saying, he makes you feel Ed's faith as well as his belief in evil and the supernatural. It makes the scary stuff scarier and feel more real. It's a magic spell, really, and it's one that in over 60 TV and film projects and counting, he puts us under again and again, from comedy to drama, criminals to superheroes. On July 7th, we got treated to his mesmerizing directorial feature debut taking place after the events of the second film, Josh Lambert heads east to drop his son Dalton off at school when his college dream turns into a nightmare that threatens to haunt them both. It is Insidious, The Red Door. We are most honored to welcome its director and star, the indelible Mr. Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Wow. You write my eulogy? <laughs> Hopefully not for a long, long time. <laughs> Incredible. Listen, oh, you make me feel so good. Listen, man, thank you so much for allowing us the time to talk to you today. Congrats on a phenomenal achievement. I think this is a paragon of horror, sir. It's a real triumph. Now, before we get into it here and questions about this wonderful uh, piece of work, what is your earliest memory of being impacted by a horror film as a viewer? And how did that relationship with the genre kind of evolve over time for you? 1979, maybe 78 Salem's lot. Yeah. Kids scratching on the door. Yeah, on the yeah, yeah. Yep. Brutal. Killed me. <laughs> uh, uh, then Poltergeist. Forever linked in my mind because the night that we came home from seeing it, my house was robbed. <gasps> so I had this real life trauma that was true. Sorry. That's always associated with that movie. Um, and then... Um, Jaws somewhere in there, but I don't think I saw Jaws till I was a teenager, but I saw Jaws as recently, not all the way through, but as recently as yesterday when I discovered a shot yesterday that I'd never seen in Jaws. And it made me so happy. Um, and then Silence of the Lambs when I was in high school, that was uh, uh, just Matt, as I was about to embark on being an actor, that just made me think, holy shit, this can really transcend the genre and and be nominated for Oscars. And uh, how both just the creepy storytelling and the beautifully shot and uh, the acting was incredible. So I have a, it's funny for a guy that I would say my knee jerk reaction was always, I don't watch a lot of horror. Like all of a sudden I think of the most important cinematic moments in my youth, the exception of star Wars and Indiana Jones sure. they really were, uh, they really were those movies. So to me, it's, it's always made a massive impact on my life. So it, it makes, it made sense that, uh, that my first, uh, seat in the chair was at a, uh, was, was with a horror film. So I, I just want to 
add to the genre and, and honor it, honor the series. Mm. I wanted to ask you, uh, having a musical background, when was the first time you noticed the music of a horror film and how did that make you feel? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, first time I, pro- probably Jaws actually, mm-hmm. probably Jaws. I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously just the, just the opening sequence. Um, cause music had always been so important to me, obviously g- growing up in, 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 I would assume our generation, I can't see how old you are, <laughs> but I have a feeling we're close. Um, but you know, when you're defined on star Wars, it really empire, you know, um, by the time I was, I was conscious of watching movies in theaters, uh, in Raiders, you know, to me, John Williams really kind of defined that. So, so it, it made sense that, <laughs> that it was John Williams, uh, that, that, that Jaws probably, I, w- I would imagine that's what kind of told you the feeling sure. without seeing, um, yeah, but music is a massive part of my being. I mean, music to me on this film was like, whether it was music that I chose, music that I recorded, um, you know, pushing Joe's, you know, uh, I, I don't know what other directors are like with music. I know that I can speak musical language and say, you know, it sounds like a, a minor key here. Is there a way to take that bridge and move it? You know, oh, okay. You know, like, uh, I feel like it needs to release here musically. Can we, you know, maybe go, you know, without writing it. Um, but I can see why that through line between somebody like John Carpenter, which really is why I sang the end credit song. Cause I was like, other than John Carpenter singing, we got big trouble, <laughs> you know, in big trouble, little China. I, I don't know that any other horror director has sung. on. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. so. I don't think so. Well, well done, sir. No, well, that's done. What I, was going for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about uh, the collaboration with Joe Bashar. Cause I mean, he, I, I think he's actually a demon or a conjurer of some sort. We've uh, met that guy a few <laughs> times, but we'll get to that in a sec, but uh, just starting with, so insidious, the red door uh, begins obviously with Lee Winnell and this stunning new chapter by Scott team. So focusing on what Lee and James and what they built with the first film and the tone, that they set what do you find is at the core of these films that make them so powerful and unique family struggle family drama i i i think most you know it's funny you talk about poltergeist right I, or i was i mean i i think i think uh, that's probably a that's probably a uh, part of i've never talked to spielberg about this but i i certainly think you know, whether it's that or close encounters, I mean, a divorce. I mean, I, I think, I think luring an audience in with a very real domestic strife is something that we can all relate to. Um, so I think that at their core, this family struggling from the, from the get go with their son who wants to see anything happen to their son, their son's in a coma and they don't know why. I mean, that's your that's your start of your movie, really, uh, with the first Insidious. So I think when that's when you start from a very real emotional dark place, then you can go as far as you want. I mean, that's Stephen King. You know, that's why he's masterful at it because he can take you to s- such supernatural places. And I think horror. I think the genre allows that. I think Insidious in the modern horror is one of the few that really allows that, that I can have people paint a door and have it work in another dimension. Like, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's, it it allows for that avant-garde, whether you like it or not, it's perfectly fine. It's uh, up to you, whatever your taste is, but 
it, it the the genre allows for some some big moves, and I I like that about the genre. How has your experience as an actor influenced your approach to directing? I think it it everything that I do is uh, as a director is from is from the actor's perspective on a film set because that's what I've known for 20 something years. So um, I, the way that I talk to actors, what actors need to hear, what they want to hear, how I would talk to different actors, how I'm talking to Ty is different than how I'm going to talk to Sinclair different than how I'm going to talk to Rose different than how I'm going to talk to him. Uh, You know, it's, I think understanding how actors work and respond uh, is something that I, you know, there are a lot of unknowns on the movie, but that was a, that was a known. I knew how to do that. So, but I think that that informs every, every choice that I made was from the actor's perspective, meaning what did I want? What, you know, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of the outline that Lee had originally pitched Dalton going to college and, you know, to me, I looked at it from the actor's perspective. I look at things inside and out. It's like, well, not only is he going to college, he's got to go to an art school. This is a kid that his dad learned where he was through his art. What if he took his art and he became this great artist, but he doesn't even know why he's drawing the things he's drawing. Like you don't, you know, uh, there are all these metaphors that I could use that I could mine. And that's just the actor going, Ooh, that would be cool to play. That would be cool to, to film. Um, yeah, let's have him dig into the art. Well, the first thing I would do if I woke up from a 10 year slumber or somebody was lying to me for 10 years, I'd turn to my wife and go, what the hell did you know about this? I want to see that reaction. I want her to have to play that reaction. So it's all, all my choices as a filmmaker, as a storyteller probably were made through, (laughs) through my acting, honestly, because that's just how I approach text from the inside out. The Boo Crew will be right back. Jaws, the original, is back. The film that shocked millions of dreams into nightmares is back. You want to test your nerves? See Jaws. If you dare. Jaws at the Ritz Lester Square now. Certificate A. Was there a reason, as far as making this particular Insidious film, your directorial debut, did that come, was it an idea before, or was it the script that you read from Scott Teams that compelled you to take the project on? No, it, it, it they, the, uh, we brought in Scott, I brought in Scott to, to write it. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Lee had written about, again, like about a 15, 20 page outline. And it was really, the, the bones of it were there. Northeastern college uh, goes to, you know, um, uh, he's, but wasn't art related. It was, he started just to have these dreams and it was, it was much more related to, it was a different element. It was closer to almost like a, like a, like a Peter Parker, Spider-Man template really. Um, 
And uh, there was a frat house, but there was no Chris. There, there was no uh, Ben, smash face, we call him, guy in the back. That wasn't there, all that stuff. Um, it was real. So I, I the, and it, bef- that had been sent to my agents. My agents pitched me as a director. And then Blumhouse went, of course, that's a great idea. I sat on it for about 24 hours because I thought, no, I don't want to try to fit into James and Lee's shoes. Not my bag. All good. Not interested. Thank you so much. Woke up the next day like, you idiot. Are you kidding me? It's a dream to be surrounded by people that trust you and you trust. You know it's gonna, they're, they're going to protect you. Any questions that you have, they're going to have answers for. And it's a movie, hey, not to state the obvious, a massive franchise that will be in theaters. What do you want to do? Go slog it, try to make some indie movie that never sees the light of day or is on some streaming service or get to be a, take the reins of a half a billion dollar franchise that's that, you know, and uh, and it'd be a summer movie. At the time, we didn't know it was a summer movie, but, you know, I've luckily I've had experience being an actor in a summer horror movie. So I was like, yeah, let's go at it. Let's go, go for broke, go big or go home. So it took me one day. And then I said, okay, if I do this, this is the story I want to tell. Because I started already in my mind. I want to deal with the red-faced demon. I want to go back to lipstick. I want to make him scary again. I want them to have to deal with their demons. I want him to go to an art school. I want to have a father. Uh, I, want, I want all these elements in it. And they were like, great. Who do you want to write it? We've got, you know, we just worked with Scott. Scott came and visited me. And he just said, what do you want this story to be about? And then he went away for about six months, wrote it, came back. And then I spent about the next two years, went and shot Aquaman, went and shot other movies, um, really working on it every day, worked on it every day, past three years. And you could tell uh, two things about this film that we noticed right off the bat. And I'm not sure we've, well, first of all, I'm not sure we've ever been more at the edge of our seat through a horror movie ever, but then this unexpected thing happened too where there was a lot of uh, emotion that started sobbing uncontrollably at different times in the movie and i was looking at lauren we were both crying and this is never honestly and not just blowing smoke this has never happened and what you've done with this film is take all the elements that make the insidious stories so moving and impactful even giving nuanced previous performances and plot points beautiful resolution and context and you weave it all together in this incredible tapestry that is just chill inducing and really emotionally overwhelming it all hits so hard can you comment a bit on just the structure and the dance how you designed that overall experience for the audience member coming into this film um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot to unpack, but, uh, thank you is the easy answer. Um, you know, I, one of the joys that I've had in, in learning how to really learning how to act in horror movies, it's a different, it's a different job requirement than, than most other genres. And I really believe that it's, it's, it's not to, I say this, not even as the actor, I say this, uh, like not even commenting on my own performance, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to have very real, uh, uh, very real 
subdued moments, earnest moments, and then have massively melodramatic emotional moments that you 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 have to buy you know it's it's the reason if you go through history and horror movies of really great horror performances they're usually by some real trained actors and so there there's a reason that that long ago christopher lee and these guys made were massively successful in horror films because they understood the assignment so i come at this and i to- would tell this to the actors and i knew in casting chris i had to have somebody from the theater fresh out of school that knew the requirement. Like you're going to have to go there. Like when we say go there, this is not, what are my lines today? I'm on a movie. This is like, this is chewing scenery. This is, this is, but, but in a very real way, you have to support it uh, because the audience can tell like that if it's false. So that's the overarching sentiment that I gave the, the actors, especially the younger actors, both comedically and from a horror perspective, because we have both at times in this film. Um, for me, the the linchpin of the movie scene uh, that I wanted, both from a technical perspective, because it was a nod to the second film, when I go back and see myself in the house, I wanted to take that a much more emotional step. I wanted Dalton to have to confront himself and to confront his father in the basement. Because in the laundry room sequence of the, because I thought, what a horrible thing that family went through, mm. regardless of Josh being possessed. Th- it doesn't matter, right? It's a, if you really want to dig into it, because, you know, it's a, as much a statement on domestic abuse as it is anything when, you know, it kind of sadly doesn't, it doesn't matter if you know why the person's doing it, they're still doing it, right? Yeah. And so, not that I wanted to beat that over the head, but I thought that that's an interesting perspective of like, yeah, your dad came after you with like a bat and like an axe and everything else. Like, I don't care if it's a horror movie. That's horrible. That's horrible. I don't care if he's possessed. Horrible to see. So I went back through the movie and I saw these shots that James had of being very removed. He was very distant in that sequence, handheld behind a bookshelf. And I was like, that's it. I can do the reverse. And that's Dalton's POV. So then we crafted the whole sequence around that. And so let's put him back in that we've rebuilt the room. And then, you know, luckily I've got a great editor and Derek Ambrosi who, who cut that scene. And we just sat there and threw a couple doubles. My son played double young Dalton in that sequence. We got a double for, uh, for Rose to do the stunt, to overlap the stunt. And really, I just wanted it to feel like, like the sequence of number two, but just on a much more visceral, yeah. ugly level. Yeah. So that was really, you know, I like this. Mo- I like it to be ugly. I just really want it to be dirty and 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 messy. I think that's that's where that emotion lives for me. This film had such incredible art. Were you able to take any of the paintings home with you after the production? I have the painting because the painter is a very good friend. Of mine. Oh, that's <laughs> yes. great. Yeah, that's so no incredible. I'm glad you like it. His name is Ricky Mujica. You can go to rickymujica.com. Not that he asked me to promote him, but I've known the guy for 30 years. Um, he's incredible. He's an incredible realist. Yeah, really. It's, it's He's done some magnificent work. It has nothing to do with horror films, <laughs> usually what he does. But, you know, it's Parsons Train, teaches the Arts Students League in New York. I mean, he's 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 no joke. He's uh he has been doing this for a long time, probably 50 years. So um, he's an old friend of mine. And uh, and so, yeah, he did all the drawings, um, at least all the, like the really, really yeah. great ones. He was very careful. And this is about a 13-year-old skill. This is about a 17-year-old oh, wow. skill. 
uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, now we'll start to paint. Well, you can't paint on charcoal. You have to shellac it first. So we looked at all these techniques and, you know, I shot for days. I could have shot a whole art movie. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously stuff gets cut down, but yeah, I, I'm really proud of the oh, artwork. It's extraordinary. Can you describe how it <laughs> felt directing Ty who gave a virtuosic performance and uh, was it a challenge or an asset for a bit of Josh's presence to always be in Dalton's scene, either on the other side of the camera or with him, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'd be interested to know what he says about that. I, you know, I knew when I cast him, um, I mean, there wasn't a world where I was going to do this without him, you know, but he, uh, I knew it was going to be a big ask because he uh, had never been pushed like this. You know, he's been in Jurassic Park, Iron Man 3, a bunch of other movies. But usually when you're a kid actor, no offense to kid actors, but when they're little, you're, you're just trying to capture their personality mm -hmm. on film. You're not usually, you know, there's a few exceptions in there. But for the most part, you just want the kid to make sense, tell the story, not look at the camera, you know, I would use that to my advantage though. I, I, there are several shots in the movie where he would look at the camera that I found in dailies. If you notice that in the film, he looks right at the camera and I was like, use that. So I went through all the dailies of the first two movies, finding those shots. <laughs> uh, so I used his lack of skill to my sure. advantage. Um, but I, I knew he was going to, um, he was a gamer. Like he was game for it. He wanted to go there. Uh, he wanted the challenge, even though I don't think he knew what the challenge would be, because I don't think he would say, oh, yeah, every day was fun. And you know what? He shouldn't because he went through the ringer on the film. I hope he can say it was rewarding. Mm. It made me a better actor. I'm proud of the work that I did. Like, that's that's the goal, because I think he has some really just beautiful moments. And I know it's a rarity to get to stretch out like this mm. in movies. So, um yeah, I don't know if he felt my presence as Josh or his fake dad or whatever. I mean, I was his father in Little Children in 2006. Yeah. I mean, when he was three. So I, I rolled pretty deep with him, even though we're not super tight, yeah. you know. Um, but I certainly knew I could push him. Yeah. Because uh, it was not easy. It was not easy. I mean... Not, not, you know what I mean? Not, it was not, not saying it was difficult to get him there. It just, it, it, uh, it, it's tough. It's tough stuff when you're dealing with trauma. <laughs> yeah. The rawness that you capture in that performance that he gives when he's uh, painting in his dorm room and he starts crying. Do you remember how you yeah. felt on that day at that moment when you got to capture that moment from him? Yeah, we were rolling for quite a while. Uh, not any knock on him. It's just, I didn't know what we needed. You know, you, you have this sequence and I'm talking him through it. I kind of knew that we weren't going to use audio. So uh, I didn't know how we cut the scene together at that point, but I was, um, I was, I was grilling him pretty hard off camera. I'm not going to lie. It was uh, um, just a constant reminder of sort of what he's going through. Um uh, cause it's a lot of those things, honestly, and this is, you know, when you aren't trained, you're learning on the fly and it's, you learn by doing, and that's, can be really raw and beautiful. Um, 
but you want to make sure that you you you're you're open to doing that. You know, he's open to learning and learning how to how to do that. I'm sure he hasn't had to do that on film before. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of pushing and pulling, and but he was up for it, and he's got a great skill set. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah the, it was, it's, it's it's a nice, scene. yeah, be- it's a beautiful nice scene. performance. So the scares in this film live in the kind of the poetry of tension. It's uh, brutally cruel. It's unfair how many times you dangle us over the ledge and mess with the audience. <laughs> That's crazy. Tell us about your concept of crafting a beautifully choreographed scare that you do so many times in this film. Well, there are different, there are different, there are different levels, right? There are some scares that I wanted to have more of an impact on. And then you find yourself in the editing room or an audience in front of an audience. And and James would say the same thing. I don't think this is a first time uh, director issue. I mean, I remember things on, you know, the nun was a, we did that in reshoots. I mean, the nun wasn't even a part of when we shot conjuring Two. that came six months later when things didn't work. So I say that, you know, as a defense of like, I would think one scare would work and then just for whatever time, you know, whatever variables on the day that go like, like an action sequence. It's sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You go, okay, this scare is going to be different. So now let's try to craft this other one. And so it's all a dance. I just, what I wanted overall was a different feel. I wanted some jump scares. I wanted some small little scares that were just kind of hits that were a release, like in the art class. I wanted some, you know, the the uh, the sequence of me flipping the uh, pictures um, with what we call smash face. I wanted that practical. I wanted it, you know, in the daytime. I wanted it to feel different. That was my little nod to John Carpenter on in the Mouth of Madness. Um, uh, I I I just I like weird. I just wanted the audience to be uncomfortable. I wanted you to expect it to come from here and then come from there. And sometimes I'll let it come from there and you'll go, oh, okay, now I got a handle on it. And then the next one, I'll kind of get you from the side. <laughs> I laugh like this. I'm sure like you're laughing. <laughs> you know? And then the MRI, the MRI was a, was a, was a late game addition too. And Lee was a tremendous help with that, which was fantastic. Cause I knew I, you know, we, uh, I knew I needed a sequence with a doctor. I needed Josh to be more active uh, in his, getting well. Oh, what do I need like a doctor sequence. What about an MRI? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Write the MRI. Great. You know, how do we shoot it? Oh, should be really uh, just, just totally static symmetrical. I love symmetrical frames. You know, I've got a couple of the upside down cross sort of stuff in there. I like that. I like to kind of start what you think should be safe and just totally screw it up. And then you know, what's better than a creepy guy with a comb over coming at you through a tunnel? (laughs) (laughs) That guy's awesome. (laughs) Do you you feel that this film needs a sequel to this storyline or not? Or do you have an idea of where it could go should there get one? I have no idea. Uh, That's, I don't. I, you know, the tag at the end of the movie you stayed through the credits was as much to show that you need a balance of light and dark, you know, I mean, clearly you guys work at bloody disgusting. Like you, you, you need both in your life. You do, you do. All right. We need 
it's it's why I wanted to sing with Ghost at the end. Like I, you, you, that balance is kind of what it's all about, right? Uh, where does the light shine brightest in the dark? Like you, they don't work without the other. So, where do I think it could go? I, I, I'd be curious to know what what Dalton would do. I don't, I don't know. It feels pretty final for for the Lamberts uh, as a as a family unit. Um, now that being said, you know, come back in ten years, it'd be cool to do kind of like the boyhood thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, we've definitely closed the door uh, more ways than one mm, for sure. Beautifully said. Well, quickly before we go, is there anything you can tell us about the future of the Warrens and how progress is coming along on Conjuring Four, and if we'll see them in the extended Conjuring universe at any point in the future? I mean, I know that they are, uh, the easy answer is yes, I think there will be a Conjuring 4, obviously with the writer's strike that, uh, you know, that that has changed the dynamic of our whole business right now, but, um, and rightfully so, may I add, um, but I have a feeling, you know, obviously that, that will, that will be worked out at some point. Um, so yes, hopefully we'll, We'll wrap it all up with number four. Um, and I know, you know, they're they're talking about a, a series. Um, we'll see. I think I think what we know there is Vera and I have an, a great time together. And I think, you know, we're pretty conscious of of the impact of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And because and I can weirdly be a fan of them too. Does that, yeah. that sounds great. Like, like, <laughs> I kind of love playing them, you know, and I kind of, I do. And so I'd be curious where the series goes. And I think if you look at, you know, for, I mean, look at like the last of us, right? If you said, okay, we're going to take a video game and make this incredibly moving story. And you're, you know, that kind of have hasn't been done. So um it I, I think that's that's a an interesting template for what kinds of stories you could tell. I mean, not obviously not has nothing to do with the plot, but just the idea that you could take something that is known in one medium and what would happen if it were, you know, over long form, what does it become? You know, what can you explore in their own life? So uh the that's the long answer. The real short answer is I haven't read anything. So I know nothing other than talking to people and what they're sort of, uh, what they're working on. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Nothing set in stone. We haven't signed any contracts, but you know, we are certainly game that's, to listen. That's great. We're excited too. Well, Patrick, thank you so much. This has been a real bucket list conversation oh. for us. And it, it really has been an absolute pleasure, man. Congrats on this movie. It is a masterpiece. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, you guys. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks, everybody. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 391. Special thanks to our guest, Patrick Wilson, and a very special thanks to you for hanging out with us. The time of release, see Insidious the Red Door in theaters everywhere July 7th. Production tracks provided by the great Power Man 5000. Till next time, on behalf of myself, Trevor, Lauren, and Leo, it is the Boot Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew. 
is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.